Hello and welcome to Check the Program. We're back to talk about the uh, arts and cultural scene here in Victoria. I'm John Threlfall and I'm joined today by Amanda Farrell Lowe and Melanie Trump Hoover. And uh, our fourth, Sarah Petrescu, is out of town on assignment. Uh, <laughs> she's not really on assignment, but she is out of town this week, so she's not here. And I'd like to start by acknowledging that Victoria occupies their t- traditional territories of the Lekwungen speaking and Coast Salish peoples, including what is now known as. Uh, you were we were talking before the mic was on about how I never actually leave the house and <laughs> see anything. So what did you see, Amanda? I went and saw Tenant Hamovich Theater in Kanu show that's on until the nineteenth of May. And uh, it is a show that a lot of people, including director Matt McLaren, were captured by when it came to town as... Which Fringe Fest was that? Does anyone remember? A few years, years ago, ago now. Yeah. Yeah. 2013, 2014? Yeah, yeah. So it was one of the international shows that came to the Fringe then, and it was a very... I actually missed that performance. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, the talk of the Fringe. Um, so yeah, I went and saw it on preview night. I'm going to say that right now because... You know, it's not always ideal to go see a show on preview night, and I feel like this show in particular is one that will get better as it goes along. Um, so uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but uh, the tenant Hamovich moves in to an apartment in Israel, and it turns out there's these other sort of entities that occupy the space. Are they ghosts? Are they figments of his imagination? Are they real people? Who knows? Hmm. But then you kind of like they take on different roles in his life, and he sort of relives parts of his past and yeah it's um it's a show that really uh i think will tighten up quite a bit as it goes on because it really relies on this kind of chorus of actors to play these different roles and kind of shift in and out and move together and uh the preview just wasn't feeling quite tight enough for me and uh yeah and one thing that struck me really about it was I was thinking about our conversations about Salt Baby at the Belfry and how uh, you folks felt that there was a little too much exposition in that show like it was like kind of over explained in parts and uh, I went and saw it after we spoke and I felt a little bit the same way but it yeah this show I had no context for and it really kind of struck me like I don't know very much about Mm. Israel and you know, the experience of folks who live there. It just kind of made me think about, well, this is reflective. The fact that I felt that Salt Baby had a lot of exposition in it and I felt really lost in this show is less about the show and more about my context Mm -hmm. as a theater goer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whereas other people who are more familiar with this will probably be able to dive into it and lose themselves in it a bit more. I, I struggled with that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and I do feel like if you go see it now versus when I went and saw it, it'll it'll feel a lot smoother. And, it's going to uh, age well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I did, but it was nice to actually get out and see a show. Hard to do with a two-year-old. And, you know, in theater and Connie, they always program a, a really interesting blend of shows. You know, yes. that's one of the things I admire about the company. They, they bring stuff to town that we don't usually see. Tenet Amovich is an exception because it did come to the fringe, but... Quite often with Inconu, they do bring things here that otherwise we wouldn't have the chance to. Yeah, and I love that. I love that they have kind of that minimal aesthetic, and they make challenging, interesting, and affordable theater that's usually still really good. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, they're a great company. This just wasn't my show. Hmm. Great. Okay. Yeah. Good. What's next? Yeah, Melanie, what did you see? I saw a few things these last couple of weeks. I started out with Swanson and Other Farces, which was the 10th anniversary season opener for Blue Bridge. 
It closed on May 6th, and uh, it was billed. Their 10th anniversary season is being billed as their their classics. Mm. So classic farce in this case, classic comedy coming down the road, classic drama, that kind of thing. And so it was kind of funny billing in the sense that this was this was their first show, and Anton Chekhov, of all people, was the playwright, the material that they were mining. <laughs> that great knee slapper, Anton <laughs> Chekhov. <laughs> yeah, not, not exactly screwball comedy in, is, you know what uh, he's known for. Uh, the misery of the human condition is a lot more a lot more of his material, but there is humor in that. Mm. And what I got from, you know, I, I wasn't actually familiar with these pieces, and they were four one-act plays uh, written, um, written separately and then woven together really interestingly. Uh, perfect for a director like Jacob Richmond to take on where he's got a lot of experience with dark humor and uh, a lot of experience with that. The um, vaudeville kind of essence of that as well as the physical pieces mm-hmm. that come out in, in farce. And not certainly not all four pieces were, were that physical screwball comedy. The four pieces were woven together by this concept of this Russian toy theater playing music. So the actors um, came back out and were playing music as well as this little child prodigy, Noah Pastor, who I think that she's done some work with um, Scam and done some training with Scam. She's eight years old and she has a strut and came out <laughs> opening the show onto a toy piano um, and had like so much sass as she sidled up to the piano and jammed out a little piece and came back out with the violin and really added so much. Um, to the to I think the whole context and setup and and texture that Jacob was trying to tell these stories through, the standout of the four pieces was was the second act, the proposal, and it uh, set up Rod Peter Jr., who's a I think one of the more understated um, local actors in terms of his ability with physical humor. He is amazing. And the setup on uh, in this particular vignette was him um, proposing to Celine Stubel's character, the girl next door. Not because he was particularly in love with her, but he was of an age to marry, and she was not not plain looking and seemed serviceable as a as a homemaker. And so he comes to propose, and the whole thing is put off because they get into this insane argument about who owns the meadow next door. <laughs> and he starts having heart palpitations, and his whole body half paralyzes, and he's passing out, and he just does it so so well. And uh, and the other characters. Uh, West Stritter and Celine Stubel play so well off of it. So that was the kind of true screwball farce farce piece of it. Um, and 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 the other the other three uh, acts were also, you know, interesting in the different threads that they took up about, you know, aging or or about kind of household dynamics. There was a common theme though where where all four acts kind of took the piss on uh, on female characters. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, and all had had little bits and pieces to say about, you know, the the stereotypical shrew of a wife or the vignette about the bear. Uh, Trina Stubel was this widow and and uh, in this period of mourning and this man trying to insert himself in her life and her resisting and how difficult women are. So, it was a, a interesting kind of yarn to to weave through all four pieces um but overall a a great strong start to the season and next up for blue bridge their second part is of the season is arthur miller's all my sons and that opens on may 29th so i'm curious to see what they do there all my sons very very uh masculine as well so this is blue bridge's 10th season and I, as somebody had mentioned to me, asked me if I'd seen their brochure, their uh, patriarchal brochure. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and I looked at it. And, and 
guess, like three of the four images on the brochure are, are men. They're all men and everything like that. So I kind of went back and I looked at the history of the shows they've done, and every show they've done over their 10 years has been by a male playwright, which is fine. They're a classic company, and they're looking to the classic works of mm -hmm, theater. Yeah. But considering they dip all the way back to Shakespeare, you can't tell me that you're not going to do something in there. Like... Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre, you know, like uh, Pride and Prejudice, something like that. How about an the Agatha, sun. Grand, Raising the Sun? Yeah. Agatha Christie, for God's sake. Absolutely. Anyways, uh, I think there is room to move in there. Perhaps in the next 10 years, they can work towards having more uh, gender-balanced plays. Interesting corollary to that. Uh, I'll just throw it in and give it back to you after that. I went to see 9 to 5, the musical, which is what it's all, that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> of course, it's the, the classic, um, the movie with Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin uh, trying to overthrow their patriarchal boss. And uh, the musical is a lot of fun. It's, it's the movie. You know, if you like the movie, you'll like the musical. Mm -hmm. uh, if you like the song 9 to 5, You'll love the musical because you hear it, you know, at least three times. But then it becomes a melodic through line to the entire musical as well. Uh, the rest of the music in it is pretty throwaway. Uh, I don't really remember any of the songs that I heard. Dolly Parton wrote the music and lyrics for the mm. entire show. Uh, but it is a lot of fun, and it, just like the movie, it's fun watching these women take the upper hand. And the clever part of the show is that they've worked into the idea that uh, the Lily Tomlin character is sort of reinventing the idea of the workplace. She keeps making jokes about, you know, 24-7. Oh, what's that mean? I don't know. I just thought it up. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, just do it. Oh, that could be a good slogan. You know, so there's that kind of element in it that it's, you know, women who are inventing the world we're living in now. Right. Um, but there is a lot of uh, sort of moments where the audience was laughing but kind of sighing at the same time and in a, in a town, a bureaucratic government town where a lot of women still work for men, I think it's the right <laughs> show for the right audience um, good performances all the way around it was very much a, a Victoria Operatic Society greatest hits uh, Francesca Batanti, uh, Tara Britt Dwayne Gordon, people we've seen in lots of their shows so they're very good at what they do uh, but I think the person who's having the most fun in that show is the director Pat Rendell Mm. Uh, he was having so much fun with his large cast, uh, with the he did the choreography for it as well, and uh, just moving these people around the stage and having some of the characters come out in these ridiculous costumes, like uh, Wiley e. Coyote cactuses at one point, these little <laughs> dancing cactuses come out, and it was super fun. Uh, so, I, you know, I definitely enjoyed it and definitely laughed a lot. And uh, the woman who was playing the uh, Dolly Parton character, Jolene White, was very good as well. Uh, she definitely had the voice and the presence for the part. So it's a nice corollary. Her name was Jolene. Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> a role she was born for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I also, um, speaking, of, speaking of the theme of working, mm -hmm. that we just had May 1st, Labor Day, and I think there's a lot of content in the city around that. Uh, one of those pieces was a special presentation of confabulation. Have you guys, have you ever been? No, no you know, I've always meant to, but no, no, I haven't yet. It's great. It's I think it's in its second season now, maybe third, and it's one Thursday each month at the Victoria Event Center, seven thirty, ten bucks to get in, pretty casual, and it's the setup is six storytellers, uh, all telling true stories on a theme, and that theme is what's what varies each month. And they're a mix of um, some performance artists in town, certainly a lot of lay people like us who who have never been on a stage before and are telling our, our first story or sharing our, our first experience uh, with an audience and there is some workshopping certainly that's done the you know the performer or the the storytellers apply to to be a part of this and have some work to just help them carve out a story 
the bits and pieces of their story that are going to be most meaningful. And so this one in particular was a special, special showing with the Retail Action Network that was all taking up stories on first jobs, terrible <laughs> bosses, workplace heroes. And so I learned a lot about the the workplace community in Victoria in particular and what, what that retail experience is especially. Um, and where, what, to your point, John, what has and has not changed over the years. So that was really fascinating. And it's, it, they, they do a great job. Uh, Carolyn Michaels and Cassandra Tagneri are the hosts, and they're both incredible hosts, share little uh, vignettes on theme themselves that are always really engaging. But they do a great job of finding the perfect mix on a range on a theme that there are some heartbreaking moments, there's some absolutely hysterical moments, surprises, um, big big folks and storytellers in the community. Their next show on May seventeenth, Bob McDonald's going to be there. Uh, that theme is defining moments, the the moment that changed everything. And so he's got a story to show share. He reached out to them and and is hmm. going to be on the show. Dave Morris is at at the May seventeenth show as well. And so it's just a great night out once a month. Always interesting and part of part of what I really love about the experiences at the intermission people all start the chit chat throughout the room is all oh well this one oh, time sure. yeah, you know yeah. oh my first I know exactly what and right. it just really shows you how all of you know certainly the unique we all have our unique life story but all of that the those common threads and themes that mean so much to everyone so this is another one of these series like the moth like the flame like Absolutely. mortified where it's everyday people telling their stories. Yes. You know, which I think is kind of fascinating because we, you know, as professional arts people, we go and we're used to seeing professionals on stage. But I think that opportunity to see everybody, you know, everyday people telling their own stories is really great as well. Also on the working line, I went to Working, which was uh, <laughs> CCPA, the Canadian College of Performing Arts, their musical, uh, their graduation musical for uh, this season, uh, which was Working as an old uh, book that was done in the 70s by Stud Sterkel. And it was developed as... Um, a musical back then uh, and then it's being revisioned as a contemporary musical and they've brought on board new songwriters for it uh, it's a whole series of vignettes about people working you hmm. know, little snippets of jobs you know the fast food worker the office worker the delivery worker things like that and then you get these straight-up monologues delivering the information and then they're interspersed with songs about the experience of working in these jobs um, and, you know, uh, given the kind of musical it is, it was a real mixed bag. But uh, I always enjoy seeing CCPA's show because they do such a good job of uh, training mm -hmm. their people to be future musical theater stars. Uh, Matthew Howe, working with a huge cast here, is probably well over 30 people on stage. Wow. Moving them around so beautifully, great choreography. And then having those little isolated moments as well. And some really clever staging where instead of just having someone center stage singing standing, uh, one one song was about a guy who was uh, delivering things on a bicycle and they had him on top of a riser on a stationary bike with uh, fog playing across the stage and he was like he was and then they had people down on the stage underneath him holding him in place and it was it was like he was basically over mm -hmm. top of the crowd it was very effective mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed that and I hadn't even thought of the May 1st connection but that's right around the time they staged it as hmm. well so very yeah. very timely yeah and I also went to uh, the the premiere the very first piece uh, from a new dance company in town Dance Berserker Dance from choreographer and artistic director Kelly Hobson. Uh, she's the artistic director of the Victoria School of Contemporary Dance and has been a choreographer in Victoria pretty much since she moved from Vancouver. But this is her, her new standalone company and the first work um, that they've produced and just started working on last fall, which is amazing because the polish and, and precision of the piece that the debuted last week was was incredible. So I'm used to seeing Kelly in the environment of Atomic Vaudeville choreographing these elaborate dance-offs between 
Putin and Jesus and and these you know dance moves that are so enjoyable to watch but are very much you know created in this theatrical environment to push a story along um, and are and are part of a larger kind of vaudeville cabaret experience and so it was so so cool to see um, her vision for for this piece on family dynamics called All Happy Families where uh, she wove together in a 60 minute show um, it really trying to to pick apart you know what we label as family dysfunction and our relationships all sorts of different relationships that we have with our various family members and the way that we see our roles that we see our roles in families and and perhaps the role that our families try and pigeonhole us into uh, in this series of vignettes um, the piece itself opened almost looking like the Last Supper where these eight performers in the company were all in a line eating this meal that then started, their, their cutlery started moving um, and creating a beat that they, they the first piece kind of uh, jumped off of. The technical skill of this company, I don't, I don't know how much they were dancing together before Dance Berserker Dance was formed. Um, but unbelievable, very physical, contemporary work, tons of floor work that just, I mean, I was, I was exhausted watching them after 20 minutes that they were still, no one was out of breath and they were um, able to keep that energy up for 60 minutes. It introduced me to a dancer, uh, Keith McMillan, who I've never seen before. He was one of two male roles. He and Andrew Barrett both were strong, but he in particular um, absolutely stole the stage whenever he's on it. And, you know, to complement this work, another Atomic Vaudeville uh, alum, Alex Lozenko, uh, created projections for this work. And again, seeing his stuff in Atomic Vaudeville and expecting, like, colonoscopies of wolves and the, the kind of work that you see that gets projected on a vaudeville stage, I didn't know what to expect and didn't know if it would be there for visual sake or if it would be really working with the pieces. And it um, was, was so cleverly done this one particular piece um the the youngest the baby sister in the family she's being told to grow up and and move out of the house and build her life and meet all these expectations that her family has set on her and she kind of breaks away from the rest of the family and starts having a dance off with herself through these projections and a fart gun i mean it's not up a dog's butt but there's still this <laughs> element of play and and theatrical kind of vaudeville style that kelly and alex are are well steeped in in their work with vaudeville but done in such a um powerful and very accessible uh way uh, some some dance work is very cerebral and very abstract and this was so relatable and so meaningful and enjoyable to watch no matter what your appetite or interest is in dance is that it for reviews i think so yes yeah. you wow lots lots of ground i guess it's everyone's wrapping up their seasons yeah. well not everyone i you know like langham court still has a show to come yeah. they've got yes. course of disapproval coming up in june uh, i should have mentioned nine to five is still on it runs until may 13th as well um, but yeah, most, most companies are wrapping up their seasons. Mm-hmm. So news, what have we got in the news? Well, do you want to start with, uh, why don't we start with Carrie Newman? Um, I went to the inaugural Regional Arts Award, which was put on by Pro Arts Alliance, which is the Professional Arts Alliance of Greater Victoria. And, um, 
there had been this decision made that it was about time to honor some of the cultural workers in the city. Uh, and the, the mood in the room seemed to be very much that this was well past time mm. to be doing mm. this. Uh, you know, Victoria, for all the arts uh, activity we have here, it's always a constant conversation. It's like, why don't we have some sort of notable awards like the Doras, like the Jessies? So Pro Art Alliance, they decided to step forward and, and do this regional arts award. So uh, the, the inaugural award went to Carrie Newman. Uh, Carrie Newman. Most people know him as visual artist. Uh, he did the beautiful Witness Blanket, which is about the residential mm -hmm. school experience. Yeah. Um, an amazing, uh, intricate uh, sculptural installation, which has toured all across Canada. Um, and he also did the ceiling in the Bauman Center. Oh, if anyone's been to the Bauman so Center, that beautiful wood piece up on the ceiling there is just gorgeous. It's amazing. It. Oh, it's amazing. it is. Yeah. But what I didn't realize was that he also had. Uh, a background as a singer as well. He's a trained opera singer. Uh, he's a board member with uh, Pacific Opera Victoria as well. And it was POV who put forward his nomination for the award. And uh, everybody was very pleased. Uh, apparently he was also uh, nominated by uh, Sheila Rogers and Andrea Walsh up at UVic as well. And uh, the judge's decision was unanimous. Everybody unanimously selected Carrie Newman for this first award. It was uh, it was a very uh, short but very sweet uh, ceremony, and uh, Carrie Newman was very emotional and uh, very sincere when he was accepting his award as well. Um, he made a beautiful speech. He got all choked up <laughs> during his speech. Which yeah, was I saw lovely. the photos, and he looked yeah. like he was really. Yeah, it was yeah. lovely. Uh, Ian Rye from POV spoke very highly about him as well. Um, but one thing he said, Carrie said that I thought was lovely was that. Um, he said that you know being in the arts community was always a very realistic career choice for him because he had a very supportive family, you know, which I thought sort of uh, you know contrasted to the stereotype that oh you can't grow up to be a professional artist, you know, as opposed to having a supportive family. It was like yes, of course you can do that, and he's living proof that you can do that as well. So it was yeah, it was a nice event, and I look forward to it going forward in the future to see who else these awards yeah i wonder if they'll add more categories mm -hmm. or you yeah know, who knows yeah. I yeah, mean, what the future vision is yeah, yeah. yeah. no i was very excited to hear about that program it's great other news open space so open space is uh the saga continues mm -hmm. at open space um the uh interim board has now announced that they're going to be having an agm in august august mm -hmm. 11th i believe it is and in the meantime, what are some of the things that are happening in the meantime? Well, they, um, their uh, executive director is no longer with them. Now there's a new search for mm -hmm. a new executive director as well. Uh, so that's going to happen. Um, and then recently, um, uh, Wendy Welsh, the director of Vancouver Island School of Art, uh, posted an open letter on Facebook about what's going on there as well, which uh, I'm not going to go into in great detail, but it was a very interesting letter as well. Um, you know, somewhat critical about what's happening there is you know, from her perspective too. So. I think in the interim they said that they will be uh, hiring an Indigenous curator by next month. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously these kinds of things take a lot of time and energy to unravel. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that it continues. So. Yeah. Also with Wendy Welsh, uh, Visa, uh, you know, with their uh, unplanned move out of their quadrastry location, they're uh, hoping to get that extended as well. And uh, I know there's an appeal to the school district to try and uh, let them hang on to the space for longer. Uh, realistically, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, I, I read a letter by Zane Phillip in the TC about it, and uh, he made some good 
points about um, maybe partnering with, say, the new Crystal Pool, or you know, like no he, he brought up a couple of really interesting options, but those are things that would take time, yeah. right? And they're right as of now, they're expected to be out of there by the end of the summer. So, yeah. um, similar to what we're talking about with. Uh, with visa situation, uh, I went to the MFA show, the UVic Visual Arts MFA show. It's in uh, an empty retail space on Fort Street, where the Heart Space, Heart Space, yeah, yeah, last October, yeah, where that show was on, and it's back in the same space, and it provides uh, a downtown option for a UVic Art Show, which is great because a lot of people don't come all the way up to campus to see things, so it's nice you can just walk down Fort Street and see it. But what I really liked about it was the activation of that space. You know, walking down Fort Street instead of seeing yet another empty vacancy in the city something else is in there and this is the kind of thing that you know the mystery of casual living has been doing for a long time and the arts council greater victoria has been doing with some of their art exhibits as well and i think it's really great that uh, both the building owner and the city seem to be on board with this and i'd like to see more of that and maybe more across the board not just an art show but you know activating these spaces in other kind of ways as well um a storytelling venue perhaps or mm-hmm. something like that you know paper street we saw what they did with a little retail venue when they built their little tiny theater in there mm-hmm. which has of course since been torn down but yeah let's see you said oh instead of another empty storefront and another hole in the ground with a condo mm-hmm. going yeah. up right <laughs> yeah, like yeah, no, yeah you know I, I feel like we, we're seeing more of those in downtown victoria and less empty spaces yeah, yeah. it's uno week well, that's yeah. So that's it's Uno week. This week, uh, you think about what's what's new in town this week. It is Uno week. Yep. Uh, Unofest uh, runs from May 9th to the nineteenth, coming up twenty first annual, I believe. Yes. Festival of solo performance. Uh, if people have not gone to Uno before, why haven't you? It's really, <laughs> seriously, it's fantastic. Uh, the work that comes to Uno has traditionally been fantastic work that you don't usually see anywhere else. Uh, it's different from the Fringe in that it is a curated festival. And uh, you are seeing top flight work uh, coming into town. I, by my count, I think it was almost 20 different shows were happening during this year's festival. Uh, everything from storytelling and dance and drama to comedy and family works and some site-specific place pieces, uh, some workshops, some cabarets, and some, uh, some lectures. Uh, work from all across Canada and one even coming in from Ireland this year yeah. as well. So it's, it's a very exciting festival. Um, and I had the chance to talk with Heather Lindsay, the executive director of Intrepid Theatre and the curator of UNOFest. When we were talking, she told me one of Intrepid's guiding principles is the idea of lifting up the unserved voice and reflecting what's happening in contemporary theatre practice. Uh, with that in mind, it seemed the ideal time for UNO to offer an Indigenous spotlight, which when you think about the exciting range of work we've seen from Indigenous theatre artists lately, you think about uh, Marie Clement's Missing that came into Pacific Opera mm-hmm. last fall, uh, Lindsay Delaron's Pendulum Showcase earlier this year, or Dance Victoria's uh, Dancers of Dem- Demel Hamid that came in this spring. Uh, it makes perfect sense that they would do this Indigenous Showcase. There are all these amazing, bold, brave, very uh, high-crafted shows of Indigenous women and young Indigenous women who are demanding space, demanding to be heard, and being extremely brave with the content of what they're talking about on stage. So while, of course, within um, Truth and Reconciliation and within a dedication to commit and an ongoing commitment to always be looking at trying to incorporate more Indigenous work, it also just throws itself out at you, which I think is really um, exciting because uh, the reason we were able to make it a spotlight is because there was three glorious shows that 
incorporate you know four amazing women that I think have have such vital stories for everyone to hear and and learn about these women so I was just inspired by the work that was presented you know now Heather sees a lot of shows as she travels around she keeps herself attuned to what's being developed out there uh, but for her and for Intrepid itself, uh, it was about more than simply presenting the work as curator for her. She wanted to provide a voice and a presence uh, for the women who were creating these shows themselves, as determined by the artists themselves. So as a result, this year, UNOFest is welcoming a guest curator, uh, Toronto-based Indigenous theatre artist Yolanda Bunnell. Uh, she's the creator of Bug, which is going to be on at UNOFest as well. Uh, Bunnell is an emerging performer and playwright of Ojibwe and South Asian descent, uh, she's recently worked with the likes of famed playwright Judith Thompson and playwright director Fallon Johnson, whose Salt Baby mm-hmm. is uh, running at the Belfry right now. Uh, she's also been part of the Stratford Festival's Indigenous Directors Initiative, where she had the opportunity to work with a number of prominent Indigenous theatre makers. And for Heather, she seemed like the perfect partner to bring on board this year. Why Yolanda as guest curator? Because her work speaks for itself. She is an incredibly powerful artist. She's, you know, working at Stratford and then creating her own um, very um, personal work. So she's a very brave, bold artist, everything that Intrepid stands for. She is demanding space. She is going deep into the work and she wants to share her work with audiences and also youth. Youth really inspires her. So she just is a very inspiring person. And I, I think a guiding principle I use about curation right now is that if we're going to commit to diverse stages and and really try and have our stages fill of of a diverse palette of voices, it also has to stem back from a curatorial platform that I cannot be the only one curating it because that is, you know, that is my perspective. And as as wide as I, as, as open as I can be, isn't it just so much better with multiple curators? So if we have multiple curators, our stages are even going to be more diverse. So while Heather chose Bug, uh, Bunnell selected White Minds Indian and decided to further diversify and expand the idea of the Indigenous Voices Showcase with the Chemical Valley Project, as well as an Indigenous Youth Storytelling Workshop. What was really important for Yolanda in a curatorial vision was the youth and Indigenous youth in sharing practice and giving opportunity for Indigenous youth to gain more theatre and performance opportunities. So Yolanda incorporated that into her curatorial vision, and I would have never thought about it. I would have never thought about it, and so that's something that, she, that, that again, which is why ex- how you can expand the possibilities of a festival, more artistic voices from the get-go. So we've partnered with the Victoria Native Friendship Center, and so working with um, Tani and Ron at the Victoria uh, Native Friendship Center, we are... Um, talking to their youth programs, you know, putting up posters there. We are um, working and having a lot of coffee <laughs> with a lot of people. We're just trying to get the word out. So it, it's really every way from from really going right into a center and talking to their programs to um, contacting schools to contacting other centers. Um, so and and really our audience as well, just really trying to get the word out as broadly as possible because it's open to everyone. Right. And and youth meaning really uh, 14 to 22. So it's it's at that level of, of that's our defined definition of youth. So this year's UNO is uh, about more than just presenting shows, as Heather says. It's also about supporting lo- local youth and helping develop future talent. For me as an, a curator and, and an executive director, 
I think that's such a fun, exciting way about working alongside our community to also bring in more people to see this amazing work. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we engage the youth to be excited to open up the shows. And then of course we will be giving tickets to their families and their friends. So, and it, 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 in a really creative and fun way, an artistic way, um, we're hopefully connecting new people to work that we're, we're really are proud to present. The overall guiding principle is to always be lifting up the underserved voices, um, and that's what UNO has been doing for so long, before from uplifting women to uplifting just a, a very diverse palette of work um, and artist voices. And I think that's the exciting part. If we have 18 shows in a festival, you really, and it's curated, you have the opportunity to share so many, so many different perspectives and backgrounds. So, and I think that's what's really special about Uno. So no question that Yolanda Bonella is going to be an artist to watch in the years ahead, uh, which I think also makes her perfect for Uno Fest as it has a really long history of breaking shows and artists before they become big. Uh, you think of the likes of Cliff Cardinal's Huff, which mm, came in a few yeah. years ago mm-hmm. and then went on to great acclaim across Canada, eventually playing at the National Arts Centre. Uh, Huxley Worksman's uh, Did the God That Comes uh, at Uno. Oh, right, that um, was an Uno that show. That was an Uno show before it came to the Belfry. Or Evelyn Perry's Spin, the fantastic piece about women in bicycles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that show those, all, those all ended up at the Belfry, too. They did. Well, <laughs> and I think this is one of the hallmarks of Uno. They bring in these shows that then go on and build an audience from there. And then they come back, and people are like, oh, this is such an amazing show. And I'm sure Intrepid sits there going, yeah, we brought it in first. <laughs> um, and then you, you look back over the history of Uno, too. Like, the artists they have brought in like tj Daw broke new shows there shannon kalka doing easy the clown and stuff there's they have a long long track record of bringing the best of the solo performance so desperately sad to be missing you know it's one of my favorite festivals every year and not, not that it no one can feel sorry for me because i'm going to be in portugal which is also wonderful but uh it it's my favorite festival each year so i'm sad to be missing it this time although i will I will be making up for it slightly by by going to Eurovision. Oh, I'm so Lisbon. <laughs> I know of all things, we I swear we do not plan our trip <laughs> around Eurovision being in Lisbon, but it happens that the finals are there when we arrive this week. So not the final finals, five hundred euros a ticket, which I know it's popular and people for for listeners who may not be familiar with Eurovision, fix your life and watch watch it online, stream it on TV. It's as cheesy as you could possibly imagine uh, European pop music to get. It's a song competition, uh, mostly European countries entering their kind of best and brightest, very uh, national pride, um, national pride formulated music into this international competition. Didn't it, didn't it start after the Second World War as a way to like try and rebuild the European community? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. It's been so are you going to like the finals or something? No, like that? I do not I do not have a thousand or? euros to yeah, spend on that. Yeah. As passionate of an arts fan as I am. No, the like semifinals are twenty five euros a ticket, oh. so we're gonna try and get in. That was great. Well thanks for listening to check the program. I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. I'm Melanie Trump Hooper. I'm John Thrill.